Welcome to episode 66 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Hey, before we jump into today's episode, we wanted to let our first 40 milers know about our new book. It's called 40 Backpacking Hacks, Tried and True Tricks of the Trail. Our loyal listeners are definitely going to recognize all 40 hacks because they're taken from the first 40 episodes of the first 40 miles. It's a great way to get all of those hacks in one book, to have it right on your smartphone or device. We illustrated each of the hacks and uh, it kind of breaks down to about 15 food hacks and about 25 gear hacks. Uh, If you're looking for a way to support the podcast, as you know, this podcast doesn't have any sponsorships or ads, uh, then this is a great way to help out. It's available on both Amazon and iTunes. Just uh, go to the show notes for today's episode and we'll have a link to the book there. So today's show notes are thefirst40miles.com slash 065. Today on The First 40 Miles, is backpacking just a fad, a trend, or is it more? And why didn't the Beach Boys ever sing about it? Then on today's top five list, we'll share some backpacking realities and how to adapt. Then, on the Ready for Adventure segment, we plan a trip for two along the beautiful Salmon River. On the Backpack Hack of the Week, everyone loves how their clothes feel when they come straight out of the dryer, and we'll show you how to duplicate that feeling on the trail. And we'll wrap up the show with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, English poet William Henry Davies. All this, and that's about it today on the first 40 miles. Josh, on iTunes, what category are we under? Like, you know how there's the hierarchy thing? Yeah, the top level category is sports and recreation, and then the subcategory is outdoors. You know, I don't really think of backpacking as a sport. At least it's not a competitive sport. The other day I was just thinking about how to define backpacking. Like, is it a a passion? Is it a trend? Or is it a lifestyle? I mean, some people really make it more than just a weekend trip. It ends up being something that that they devote major portions of their life to. So how would you define backpacking? Yeah, I guess it's a sport. But like you say, it's not, it's not like you go to a backpacking event for a competition or something. But it has specialized gear and specialized training, I guess, kind of. In fact, we talked about that on episode 32 Um, We discussed athleticism on the trail. And clearly there is training that you can do. You can become better at backpacking. So in that sense, it's a sport. But I think for many of us, we see it less as a sport and more as a lifestyle. Many of us have deeper reasons for going backpacking than to just uh, get exercise or have fun. This conversation reminds me of the Beach Boys. When they sing about surfing, they talk about how it's so much more than a fad, and that they do their day job so they can get out and do more surfing. And they tell their teacher that it's time to go surfing. (laughs) Like everything in their life, everything else is so that they can get that done so that they can go do more surfing. Right. Their woody is designed for carrying surfboards. They hang out with surfer (laughs) girls. They know all the names of the beaches and all the names of the waves. 
that like everything revolves around surfing. This reminds me, when I was a kid in high school, my math class was on the third floor of our building on the north side. And I could look out the window, and most days it was just gray because it was western Washington and it was winter. But later in the school year, like May, the weather would start to clear up and there would be these sunny days. Looking out the north window of my third floor math classroom, I could see the Cultus Mountains just maybe 10 or 20 miles away. And I got that, you know, that feeling that kind of butterflies in your stomach, like just so excited that it's spring and that it's the last period of the day and you are just about to leave school. And those mountains were just singing to me, you know, come hike. (laughs) Just that feeling, that anticipation of wanting to be out on the trail. That sounds like a passion. That maybe it's more than just a diversion, something that you do when you don't really have anything better to do and you want to get your mind off of some of the drudgery. I mean, while backpacking does serve that purpose, it really ends up being more than a diversion, deeper than a diversion. Right. I go backpacking and hiking even when I don't have time because I know what an impact it's going to have and how that's going to bleed over to the rest of my life. You know, another thing, most sports were invented at some point, right? Like, Basketball was invented, I don't know, one or 200 years ago. It's pretty recent. Same thing with football. Um, Hiking, that was never invented. People have been doing it since the beginning. And so I think it's just a natural part of us. Like we're kind of hardwired to derive a benefit from putting one foot in front of the other and being out in nature. Well, I like how you said, even when you don't have time, you make it a priority. And I watched a TED Talk by Rory Vader. Vader? Vaden. It's not Vader, because that would be Darth Vader. Yeah, Yeah, okay. So that would be really cool. Rory Vaden, and he talked about how in old school time management, you had two dimensions. One was importance and one was urgency. And he said that people who can harness the power of the third dimension, which is significance, have a true grasp on their time. And they're the time multipliers. That's what he calls them. I would guess that people who can make time for backpacking or make time to be outside or to go on a hike have that significance in their life and are a lot happier. So I'm curious to hear from our first 40 milers. How would you define backpacking? Is it a sport, a trend, an activity, a passion, a hobby, a lifestyle, diversion? Is it just good old-fashioned recreation? Or is it deeper for you? Is it a necessity? Is there something that drives you to get outdoors? So share your thoughts with us on Facebook or Twitter. You can find the post about this episode and just respond to it. For today's top five list, the top five backpacking realities and how to adapt. Now, originally when I was working on the show notes for this episode, I started out doing top five backpacking pet peeves, but really that was not the feel that I wanted for this list. I really wanted it to be not just things to gripe about or to grumble about or to be irritated about the entire time you're outdoors, but to maybe just embrace these as realities and realize that you can adapt. You can change the way you respond or you can change the situation. So we just talked about how backpacking is like this natural drive that many of us have being outdoors. But the reality is that there are discomforts on the trail that, yeah, you have to get used to them or or somehow respond to them. And you can't just cover yourself up in a big quilt the whole time. Oh, uh, like you did? With the mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, that's an option, but um, it won't make you very many friends along the way. Well, the number one backpacking reality, along with how to adapt, is spider webs in the morning. You start out hiking like maybe midday, then you camp, and then you get up the next morning and you start hiking and you're like, whoa, wait a minute, what is different about this morning from yesterday? And it's the fact that you're getting slapped in the face with all these cobwebs <laughs> that, of course, grew overnight while nobody was out hiking. And now you're the first one that gets to uh, break your way through. And if spiders really freak you out, this can be really unsettling. But there are a few ways to adapt. First, if you're hiking with a group, take the back seat of the bus. <laughs> and that seems like maybe a little, oh, I don't know, not a very nice thing to do. Kind of turns you into a freeloader. <laughs> Somewhat of a freeloader. <clears throat> you put the tallest guy in the front. <laughs> and that works. But uh, definitely you probably want to trade off the next morning. You be the guy in the front or the gal in the front. This might also be a good time to pull out your trekking poles or just grab a handy stick from the forest and knock down those spider webs. And really, this is something that probably after a few times out backpacking, it's not going to bother you anymore. It's kind of something that really just, I think, applies to beginner backpackers. When you're just, when you're noticing every little sound, you're noticing every little bug crawling on your arm and everything that's landing on your face and just you notice everything, and after a while of being outdoors, you kind of start to tune those little things out, and they really affect you less. The number two backpacking reality is the new clean. Dirty is the new clean. I mean, that's the simplest way I can put it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I usually pack a mirror with me, and it's stowed away in my 10 essentials, and technically it's for signaling, but I also keep it just to kind of you know, see how I'm doing. And it's never a good thing to bring the mirror out. Um, I suppose there is a good first aid reason for a mirror, you know, for checking yourself for ticks or if you, you know, scraped up the back of your leg and you really wanted to see the damage. But um, yeah, as far as just making yourself look presentable on the trail, it's more about practicality, you know, keeping your hair out of your face so you can see. Um, and you're right, dirty is the new clean. I remember some of the decisions from early first backpacking trips, looking on my bathroom counter and trying to decide if my hairbrush should go or if a razor should go. No, I don't even consider those items now. No, they don't go in my pack. I never take them backpacking anymore. But when you're first getting started, you kind of wonder, like, well, should I keep my hair combed and brushed? And... No, you just get used to the fact that it's going to be kind of matted. Run your fingers through it, you know, you're good to go. Now, there are three things that I think are important to keep clean when you're on the trail, and that's your hands. So it's important to bring soap or some isopropyl alcohol or Purell, just so that when you reach into your food bag, you're putting that food directly into your mouth. And that's a really convenient way for germs to spread. So keep your hands clean. And then another thing is soot. If you're baking with the solo stove or the fire ant or another wood-burning stove, your gear is going to get covered in soot, and then your hands are going to get covered in soot, and that soot ends up everywhere. So if you want to have clean hands and not have that sooty film going 
all over your gear. Soap and baking soda will take that off really well, especially combined. If you mix a little bit of soap with a little bit of baking soda, it makes a nice little soft scrub kind of cleanser for your hands. The last thing you may want to consider is uh, with greasy hair, bringing something to deal with that because not only is it your body oils, but it's also sweat and that can cause some itchy, you know, just kind of that uncomfortable feeling. I've never been able to get over that. I love bringing along the Gold Bond medicated body powder that we talked about a few episodes ago and just shaking that in my hair and that feels so refreshing and so good. Kind of takes away some of the oil and the sweat. The third backpacking reality goes along with the new clean and that is the great stink. This may not matter much if you're backpacking by yourself, But if you have someone else in your tent, it's just an act of courtesy to maybe consider that you have a body odor that may be offensive to the person six inches from your face. So there are a few things that you can do to eliminate or greatly reduce this odor. And the first one is just doing a rubbing alcohol wipe down. This is something that I kind of turned into a ritual when we were on our first 40 miler. And that was so refreshing every night to just wipe my feet down with a cotton ball that was soaked in rubbing alcohol. You can also use the rubbing alcohol like at the base of your neck, kind of, you know, where you get all sweaty or your armpits. We've also mentioned in one of our backpack hacks the idea of making a soap tube on episode 10 of the first 40 miles. It's really simple and it's a nice way to just keep your soap clean and keep yourself clean. And this may fall into the TMI category, but I personally don't use deodorant, like commercial deodorant. I found that baking soda works amazing and just get your armpits wet and put some dry baking soda there and it works really well. It's not an antiperspirant, it's just a deodorant. So when we talk about getting rid of odor, you know, when you're out on the trail, uh, it's less likely that you're really going to be able to clean yourself to get rid of odor. So instead we're using chemical means to kill the bacteria that is generating all this odor. So the baking soda, the rubbing alcohol, these kill the bacteria. You're still sweaty and grimy, but if the bacteria get killed, then you don't smell as much. And definitely you can embrace the trail stink. That's a 100% legitimate way to go along the trail. If it does bother you, then these methods are great for managing the stink. Another thing to remember is that synthetic fabrics tend to develop more of the stink than natural fabrics. Uh, Wool is really good at um, preventing odor buildup. Yeah, there's some natural antibacterial qualities in the wool fibers and not so in the synthetic fibers. Not yet. I have just run across a shirt um, that has titanium infused into it, which I'm really excited to try out because they claim that it prevents stink. So we'll see how that experiment goes. We'll definitely report in a future show. And we'll put a link in the show notes if you wanted to check out that shirt. But you have been trying an experiment with another fabric. That's right. The great bamboo experiment. So I have a bamboo shirt. It's bamboo and cotton. And what they've done is they've wrapped these organic cotton fibers around the bamboo. And they use natural bamboo, which I guess has inherent antibacterial properties similar to wool. And I wore it for two and a half weeks straight. 
So every day, all day, and I cooked pizza in it. I sweat in it. I went on a hike with our family in it. I did all the things that I do every day, cleaned the house in it. Uh, I don't do that every day, actually. <laughs> Maybe about once every two weeks. But anyway, as far as I could tell, it didn't stink. Now, Josh is probably the true, the true judge. No, it was amazing. I didn't notice anything. And you literally wore that shirt every day for two weeks. So I wore it on our hike that we went on over Martin Luther King Day holiday and a sweat in it. And when I got back to the car, I was really curious if it would dry out fast. So it did. And we'll probably report more on that in a future episode as well. Last thing to remember about the body odor issue is that we spend most of our days indoors in close quarters with other people. And we do have to be aware of body odor issues. Well, when you're out backpacking, you've got the whole great outdoors to dissipate those body odors. It's just not as much of an issue out there because you're not in those close quarters like we are on a daily basis at school or at work. And you may also take comfort in knowing that everyone else kind of smells weird on the trail too. It's not just you. The number four backpacking reality is being big. You've got this pack on your back, and all of a sudden, you take up a different amount of space than you normally do. You know the feeling you sit down for a break, and then when you go to get up, it's all awkward. And then as you're getting up, you end up knocking down a couple of your trail mates with the back of your pack. <laughs> and, and you just you feel like a moose out there with all this extra bulk attached to you that you're just not used to. And on top of that, you might have things attached to the outside of your pack, like trekking poles or your Sierra cup or your who knows what attached and hanging and dangling off the back. I know Josh has talked about his solution for kind of that bulky feeling is to keep everything inside his pack. And that works really well. It keeps it really streamlined and you feel less like you're Santa Claus, you know, <laughs> with everything kind of hanging off your pack. But on the other hand, I like some things on the outside of my pack because I like the easy access. So I have to work a little bit harder at making sure that I'm aware of my surroundings, that when I turn around quickly to see a beautiful view, I'm not knocking over my trail mate. Yeah. And then if you just take some moments to be small again, I think that helps. So when you take a break, take your pack off, run around without a pack for a minute. Uh, when you get to camp, you can put your pack down and you can go take a little side hike out to a, a stream or up a hill or something without your pack and just kind of feel that freedom again. Oh, that feels great. It reminds me of each of my pregnancies. The last probably three months of the pregnancy, you just feel huge. I mean, no matter how much weight you've gained or whatever, it's just you're taking up a lot of space. It's a big footprint. After the baby's born, you feel like you don't feel small, but you can you can like do all the things that you couldn't do. You feel a lot more buoyant and uh, it's a fun feeling. So I like the idea of taking time to be small on the trail to take off your pack, take off your puffy, take off all those things that make you so bulky and big and just run. The number five reality of backpacking is food fatigue. Especially if you're on a multi-day trip, you start to get to a point where you're like, oh man, one more Snickers bar. 
<laughs> really? Did you ever think you would get to that point, though, in your life? Like, imagine yourself as a 10-year-old boy and being told that when you get to be in your upper 30s, early 40s, you would be able to go on these trips where you could eat as many Snickers as you wanted to. I mean, isn't that a dream? And now you're telling me that you you're... don't want to. <laughs> you know... How many listeners can identify with the, the trail mix fatigue? After episode 54, someone contacted us on Facebook or Twitter and was like, oh, where was that episode where you shared alternatives to trail mix? Because I am so tired of trail mix. <laughs> so that was on episode 54, the first 40 milescom slash 054. Just some food variety can really help out. Well, I have to say there is a one word solution to food fatigue and it works as long as you're traveling with other people. And that is share. And it's funny how, I mean, even at home, meals that someone else makes for me, like when Josh cooks or when one of our kids puts together a meal, it's so much better than if I made it myself. So there's something about someone else's food that is a lot more appealing than our own food. I remember on our first backpacking trip, watching one of the guys sitting on a rock eating some wheat thins and thinking, oh, why didn't I bring wheat thins? Those look so good. And I didn't ask for any, but I should have. Yeah, because he may have been thinking, oh, not more wheat thins. <laughs> I'm so tired of these. <laughs> and Guys on that trip would share their uh, meals with each other because you'd get like this big mountain house meal for dinner and you get about halfway through it and you still need more calories, but you're done with that meal. You're like, this just isn't tasting good anymore. So a little swap of the bags and all of a sudden you've got a new flavor for the second half of your meal. <laughs> and if you happen to be trekking alone, then maybe pack a multi-part meal instead of just one big dinner. Just so if you get tired of the soup, then you can eat a little bit of cheese. And if you get tired of the cheese, then you can have some pita. You just have a little more variety within the same meal. So no matter what your backpacking realities are, there's always going to be a way to either adapt to them or accept them. And you will have a great experience on the trail. Hey, every once in a while, we swap out the Summit Gear Review segment of the podcast episode for a Ready for Adventure segment. It's been several months since our last Ready for Adventure segment. We like to do these once in a while because they give us a chance to really take what we've been talking about on the podcast and apply them to a hypothetical situation. So we make up a place and we make up, you know, who's going and, and what the weather is like and all of that. We make all that up and then talk about it as if we were going on that trip. So today's Ready for Adventure segment is one of those, except... We really are going to be going on this trip. In fact, we will have taken this trip by the time this episode airs. Well, congratulations, Josh. You've been married for 17 years now to your spouse, and you are planning an anniversary backpacking trip for two. The four kids are staying home, so you've got that all taken care of, and you're heading out on a two-day, one-night, eight-mile loop hike. And this trail travels through mossy old growth forest next to a wild and scenic river. There are several established campsites along the way for backpackers. So as you're researching this hike, you find out that the Forest Service is considering closing this trail to all camping 
because of the high volume of garbage that are left at all of these backcountry campsites. The Forest Service just doesn't have the budget to maintain all of these areas with the additional challenges of human impact. So what are your thoughts about that? We're going in the wintertime when there's less impact. You know, there's not going to be as many people out there. So hopefully that helps. But I think uh, we should pack along some extra garbage bags. It's not a real long hike, four miles in, four miles out. So I think when we get to our chosen campsite, that's a great opportunity for us before we head out the next morning to head back to take out the trash bags and do a little bit of cleanup and then haul those out with us. I think for a quick overnighter, just four miles out, we can take that extra load on our packs and help out a bit. Yeah, it makes sense to do it on the way back instead of on the way there. And it gives you a chance to be a trail steward. I think that's really cool. I think your spouse will love that idea. The next element of this trip is that there is a 100% chance of rain in the forecast. It doesn't mean that it will rain 100% of the time that you're out there just means that it will definitely rain at some time on that trip. Rain in February. It's cold rain. It's cold rain and it's heavy and it goes straight to your soul. So what are your plans for that? Yeah, in the Northwest, we have names for all the different kinds of rain. And this time of year, especially when it's a forecast of 100% chance of rain, you're going to get the really wet rain as opposed to the uh, dry varieties (laughs) of rain. Like this is the rain that just soaks you. Um, And sometimes it is never ending. Maybe it won't rain the whole day, but I guess the silver lining in this cloud is that I know for sure that it's going to rain. And so there's no doubt in my mind that I need to be prepared completely to have rain the whole time. So rain gear is obvious. We want to have good raincoat, rain pants, and covers for our packs. And that's great while we're traveling. But then when we get to the campsite, the first thing I'm going to think about is we need to set up our tent in the rain. Well, if we put our backpacking tent right onto the soaked ground, that water is going to come up right through the bottom of the tent. So we definitely want to bring a waterproof footprint with us to put down first before we pitch our tent. And then even with the tent up, Just with the amount of rain that I think we're going to get, I'm not really comfortable having our tent be the only defense against the rain and for us to just be huddled inside of it, kind of trapped in there. So I think I want to bring a large, lightweight nylon tarp, and I want to set it up so that it is over our tent. And our tent may still get some water on it, but that tarp will defend against a lot of the water. And then I want that tarp to be bigger than our tent so that there's the opportunity for us to get out of the tent without rain pouring down on us the moment we unzip the rain fly. And with that tarp going out over next to the tent, then we will then have a space to um, prepare our meals or even to just sit outside the tent and watch the beautiful Salmon River next to us. Yeah, there are lots of great options for tarps out there. When we went on a recent hiking trip, we brought along with us the Eno housefly, which is technically supposed to go over a hammock. It's supposed to be a way to protect yourself from rain if you're sleeping in a hammock, but we used it by itself without a hammock, and our entire family was able to fit underneath it, and it was pouring, pouring, pouring on this hike, and we set up this little open-air shelter, basically just a roof, and sat under there and had our lunch and told knock-knock jokes. By the way, I heard a good knock-knock joke today. Did you know... 
that the inventor of the knock-knock joke won the Nobel Prize. Oh. The Nobel Prize. <laughs> I bet that's the best joke oh, you've heard today. Yeah. <laughs> so this Eno house fly, it's basically like having a second room of the house. I like what you said about just it being a place for us to prepare meals because you're not supposed to cook in the tent. It's our living room. I like that. The other thing I'm going to prepare for on this trip is the long period of dark. It's going to get dark by 5 p.m., maybe earlier because it's going to be cloudy and rainy, uh, and the clouds in the Pacific Northwest are thick. I mean, it can be pretty dark at noon around here. And then the sun's not going to come up till about 8 o'clock in the morning. So we've got many, many hours of uh, darkness. If we get a campfire going, that's cool. We can stare at the campfire. That'll be neat, but it's going to be pretty wet and all the wood's going to be waterlogged. So I'm thinking about what do we do with that dark time? And so I think I'm actually going to bring some electronics this time. We're going to throw in the Kindle Fire loaded with a movie that I've selected. <laughs> and we have done this once before when we uh, hiked the Rogue River and we watched uh, an old episode of the Maverick TV show. You know, it's black and white and it just fit perfectly. Oh, it was perfect. With uh, the Rogue River. Well, this sounds like a great adventure for two and I'm... Really excited to do this trip with you, and we'll definitely report when we get back. For today's backpack hack of the week, toasty clothes. One of the hardest parts of waking up on the trail is changing into the clothes that have been in your pack all night. They're all cold, and because they've been compressed for so long in your pack, typically when you pull them out, they retain that shape. They're just all smashed, and you have to kind of pull them apart, and they're just cold and not pleasant to put on. So here's the simple, simple solution. Just put your clothes that you're going to wear the next day in the bottom of your sleeping bag to keep them warm. And that does provide a little bit of extra warmth because it's a little less area that needs to be insulated. And as a bonus, because of the moisture and warmth from your body, your clothes are probably going to come out wrinkle-free. Nice. You're going to be looking snappy on the trail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put those dress shirts right in your sleeping bag. That's right. <laughs> We're going to really dive into this in next week's episode, but your clothes absorb moisture from your body throughout the day or through the night if you're sleeping in them. So I think it's important um, that you're putting tomorrow's clothes in the bottom of your sleeping bag. Yesterday's clothes should be left somewhere exposed to the air. And so you want to kind of have this routine that you can switch up. So the clothes that I wore today, I should take off and put them where they can air out. Even if it's just laying them, you know, on top of my sleeping bag or, or just somewhere in my tent, that's fine. Sleep in my base layer. And tomorrow's clothes are the ones that I'm keeping in my sleeping bag to kind of warm them up so they're nice and ready to put on in the morning. And then, of course, yesterday's clothes then have had a chance to air out and can become tomorrow's clothes tomorrow if that makes sense. Perfect. <laughs> and we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, William Henry Davies. This is the little verse, little rhyming couplet, I guess. He said, Now shall I walk or shall I ride? Ride, pleasure said. Walk, joy replied. Ooh, I just got a thumbs up from Josh on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so concise that you have to pay attention. 
It is. We get a thrill from riding because of the speed and the wind against our face, but walking really brings you that joy. That joy. Exactly. Sparks joy. Oh, sparks joy. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. It's called. <laughs> Did you forget the name of our book? <laughs> Rory, I am your father. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> you gotta throw in your joke now. It's not a joke, it's real. It's for real. <laughs> and that was in episode one, two, three, four. Five. Somewhere in the first 40. Yeah, the certainty really does give you, uh, what's that feeling? Feeling of certainty.